Thanks so much for listening to another podcast episode of Complex Identities. This is your host, Juan Marcos Barron Gutierrez. A good friend of mine sent me a link to an article in the Jerusalem Post. It's quite interesting because it notes that 15 Russian generals prayed for peace last week at a Jewish cemetery in the town of Lubavitchi, which is credited as the birthplace of the Chabad movement, which of course is known throughout the world for its if you will, it's uh, Kiruv, it's outreach uh, to Jews in almost every country under the sun. Now, we find ourselves, of course, in the midst of the Russian-Ukrainian crisis, where Russian forces appear to be already active in some of the uh, districts or regions that have broken away from Ukraine proper. Uh, And there's a potential invasion, of course, that's in play at this particular point in time. Now, what's interesting, of course, is that Russian soldiers would pray for peace at this particular place. Uh, some of the individuals that are buried there include Chabad Rebbe Shmuel Schneerson, uh, the Rebbe Maharash, the fourth Rebbe of Chabad, the son of Menachem Mendel, the third Rebbe. So this is a very important site um, that, of course, affects Chabad, but of course is part of the complex history of Jewish life there. Now, at the present time in Russia, there are probably something between 150 to 200,000 Jews. I don't know that anybody exactly knows the exact number, but it's a significant amount of population, even after the emigration of hundreds of thousands of Jews from the former Soviet Union to not only the land of Israel, of course, something like 800,000, but also to the United States and to many other countries, uh, I think Australia, other countries, almost every country under the planet, you can almost imagine where there are major Jewish communities in the West have been a site of Russian Jewish immigration. And of course, Ukraine also continues to be a significant place of Jewish existence. I think the last estimate I had seen was something like 50,000. Some people say it's up to 100,000. And of course, what's interesting is that the current president of the Ukraine is halachically Jewish. I don't know about his personal observance, but it's still interesting. And I believe that one of the important ministers of the government uh, is also Jewish. So it's a very interesting situation. And the reason that it's related to our topic of complex identities is because obviously the plight of Jews in Russia and the Ukraine is full of tragic events. Now, it's interesting at the same time because many Jews during the period of the rise of socialism and collectivism adopted these ideas as what they believe to be the sure way for Jews to be accepted in modernity. They saw collectivism, socialism, communism as potential guarantors of an egalitarian society where Jews would not be singled out and persecuted for their ethno-religious backgrounds. And of course, we can study Soviet history, for example, and know that oftentimes it was much more uh, difficult and not as uh, ideal as many Russian Jews had envisioned. And of course, There are many elements to this, but one of the things that I find striking is that the Russian Orthodox Church, and of course there are different Orthodox churches in the East, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church is separate now from the Russian Orthodox Church. One of the issues that's very much related to our topic is the simple fact that the Eastern churches have never really addressed the topic of supersessionism, which is something that we started off the podcast with in the first Uh, a season, and of course we're touching upon that at different points as we continue in the second season. Now, the reason that this is very important is because in the West, of course, with Vatican II, with the Catholic Church, 
and in the case of many Protestant denominations who have attempted to at least consider what problematic doctrinal statements or positions they hold with respect to the people of Israel, the Jewish people, um, the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, all the Eastern churches, as far as I understand, have never really contemplated that. And why is that? Because they don't see any issue with supersessionism because from their standpoint, they have never replaced Israel. They have been Israel from the very beginning because they've adopted or they have inherited a view that there was a, a true Israel throughout ancient history. And in many ways, it's it's very similar to, I think, the Islamic concept of Abraham is essentially the first true Muslim and anyone who follows in a righteous path throughout the Tanakh and the Hebrew Bible, as we would call it, is in fact truly a Muslim. And if we apply that, of course, to the Russian Orthodox Church, as well as other Eastern Orthodox churches, their perspective is that there was there has been a continuous line of true followers or true believers, and that these individuals by themselves really constitute what is the true people of God. And so they've never replaced Jews because, in effect, Jews were never really part of the chosen people except for those few individuals uh, like the patriarchs and so forth that were faithful to God and his covenant. Now, in many ways, of course, that's tragic because in the West, at least on paper, and I always emphasize that, on paper, we can see significant changes that have been made. Now, does that filter on to the lower levels, to the individual layman or layperson or whatever term that we want to use, um, it's not so clear. And I think that in Latin America in particular, especially among Hispanics in the United States that are Catholic, those ideas don't seem to have filtered through, even though on a theological level, the Catholic Church espouses a much different tone and perspective towards the Jewish people. That includes with respect to evangelism, with respect to the right of Jews to continue um, observing the Torah, and in fact, to the recognition that the Torah is an eternal covenant with the Jewish people. Um, and I think, that, of course, that's very positive and very significant, even if it has not filtered through to the average person. Now, in the East, as I mentioned, since they don't really have a problem with supersessionism, it doesn't seem to be an issue that has in any way been addressed. There have been individual uh, outcries against anti-Semitism. I believe that happened in one article that I saw uh, among certain Greek Orthodox priests, which of course is to be lauded and to be embraced. Um, and many individuals, even within the land of Israel that are uh, Eastern Orthodox, have at times applauded the Israeli government's tolerance and embrace and protection of their rights as religious minorities. That's not always the case, but it has been something that I, that I have looked at uh, and come across. Now, the practice that these Russian generals and these Russian soldiers participated in of going to a grave and essentially praying there, uh, and in essence asking for, if you will, the intercession of the tzaddikim, of the righteous individuals who are there on their behalf, of course, is rather interesting. Because we find this practice in, in the Zohar, it's mentioned, and in other uh, sources of Jewish literature. And to individuals in the West, it seems rather strange because most people who are somewhat familiar with uh, Jewish practice will often identify that type of observance with Catholicism. And in fact, here we have a perfect example of how the two religious traditions, Christianity, at least in its European setting, 
And Judaism, at least in its mystical uh, tendencies, have both embraced and inherited a view that is very similar, that there's something special about the places of rest of righteous individuals. Now, of course, some of the theological differences may come into play, uh, but they're there. And sometimes those similarities between the two are often the source of great friction, but they're also a means of highlighting the tremendous amount of commonality that exists between them. Now, of course, one of the things that we have to recognize is that simply having common elements is not sufficient to bridge the gap of animosity and of long history. But I think that those types of observances can be the starting point for people to see, oh, look, we have a practice that is very similar to the practice of this other religious group. Where did that originate from? Is there something else that is similar? What do they believe is the um, aspect, uh, you know, the elements, religious aspects, the theological aspects of what happens when they are praying there? And oftentimes what we'll see is that, again, they're not simply similar, but they seem to be based on the same perspectives in antiquity. And I think that in that sense, even though Russian Orthodox and Eastern Orthodox have not really wrestled with many of the issues that we at least see on paper uh, as having been dealt with in the West, we can see that there are different relationships that have formed. I think the idea of Russian generals going to a Jewish site would have been unheard of. And yet, because of the way that the world has turned out in the last 20, 30 years, we have a much more complex relationship between Jews and Russians and Israelis. You have hundreds of thousands of Russian Jews and Ukrainian Jews and Jews from the former Soviet Union who have emigrated to Israel. And of course, they've impacted the land of Israel tremendously. And yet at the same time, many of them still have these deep connections to their place of former residence where they lived and where their culture was impacted for centuries. And so in that sense, I think in many ways, Israel, Russia, Ukraine, all these different countries. And you can see this to some extent when Israel is participating with Azerbaijan, for example, one of the former Soviet republics, um, in positive ways. It's rather striking that Azerbaijan actually has a more positive relationship with the state of Israel than Armenia does. It's quite odd because you would think that Armenians having suffered a genocide at the hands of the Ottoman Empire would have a much more you know, similar understanding of the Jewish experience. And in fact, I think in many ways in decades past, they did. But some of the political issues that have, you know, taken a turn uh, in the dissolution of the, the Soviet empire have really changed things. So these things are dynamic. Um, they're important because they sort of highlight new opportunities, but they also highlight uh, new risk in terms of age-old relationships and communities that have been understood each other for many years. Um, but it, I think in many ways it simply highlights the fact that there are many common practices and ancient ties. And we have the opportunity in the 21st century to foster those ties and essentially to lay the groundwork for improvements in the relationship between Jews and non-Jews. And I think anyone who has studied Russian history and of course the history of the Soviet Union understands the very complex, tragic, and yet amazing nature of the relationship between uh, this area of the world and the Jewish people. Most people, for example, don't know that the Soviet Union was the second nation to vote at the United Nations in 1948 to, for, for a Jewish state to be established 
in, you know, quote-unquote Palestine, uh, right after the, the United States of America had done so. And of course, the reason for that was simply because they believed that in its early stages, the state of Israel would have much more in common with Russian models of socialism and communism, and in many ways it did, because the earliest, uh, the early years of the state of Israel were characterized by this uh, collectivistic tendencies. Um, and so it's interesting just to see the history and how things have evolved, even though, of course, in the you know, 1960s and 70s, the, the alignment of the state of Israel, of course, changed and became very much connected to the United States. Um, it's interesting to see those kind of old ties uh, exist and hopefully provide some kind of basis for future understanding.